This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that hates losing to Spurs more than having electrodes fitted to its nether regions. Well, it had to happen, didn't it? After 18 matches unbeaten, Chelsea finally lost. But why, oh why, did it have to be against Spurs? Now, in truth, a defeat like this had been coming, and there were signs against Everton that opposition managers were targeting Jorginho and cutting off the supply to Hazard. Uh, But to be fair to Sarri, he has been saying all along that his Chelsea are nowhere near the finished article. But how much is the avuncular Italian to blame, or should the finger be solely pointed at the players? As ever, there are more questions than answers. Should Sarri consign Morata to the subs bench in favour of Giroud? How can he accommodate both Jorginho and Kante? And indeed, will he countenance playing the best defensive midfielder in the world in the role that will protect the back four? One thing is for certain. To find solutions to Chelsea's current formation, player and tactical problems, Sarri will need to earn his money in the coming months. The Chelsea Fancast, number 442, or if you prefer, cheekily, 442. Indefensible. (laughs) Nice one. I'll say that again because Tony's laugh was just too good to like, you know, talk over. The uh, yeah, indefensible, basically, which is what the bloody title of the show is, and quite right. I've got a definition here of uh, indefensible, which I think is highly appropriate, actually, considering the meltdown that was going on on Twitter yesterday. It says incapable of being defended against criticism or denial. So I'll let you mull that one over while uh, I'm introducing everybody, uh, and of course. As ever, as ever, Mr. Jonathan Kidd is in the house. Hello, Jonathan, uh, or Kidder, as uh, Jake Watson insisted on calling me yes, the other Kidder, week. which is a bit sort of um, Liverpudlian, isn't it, really? Which I... A bit yeah. Margot. Yeah. I was going to say Margot. Uh, hello there, Kidder. 
I didn't like that very much. Um, but um, yes, Kido, I don't mind at no. all. Um, uh, yes, I, I'm. I'm uh, I got very depressed on Sunday and irritable, and I hate it when I do that when, when we've lost. And uh, uh, but I managed to watch sit through match of the day, which I don't normally do when we've lost. I don't seem to care about any other team. So um, uh, I was uh, pleased that I've come through, and I'm in. Be- I'm a better frame of mind today but i wasn't as negative of so many as so many other people were on twitter um who seemed to have a as you say Chidge, a complete and utter meltdown for god's sake what is the matter with them but i suppose part of it is because we've been supporting the blues for so long is that we accept <laughs> these things don't we, we, sh- we shrug our not, shoulders at it <laughs> exactly we're not johnny come lately's who go sack them all they're all bastards kill they're all pulling kill them all um Anyway, uh, what was I going to say? I actually thought, I actually thought, J.K., that you were the voice of reason Thank last very night on Twitter. Much. I thought you came up with a, a a very a very you know measured and and mature and adult response. Actually, I was I was uh, well, I wasn't amazed because actually I kind of expect that of you. But anyway, well Thank done you. you. Now uh, joining the happy happy throng. No, it's not a happy throng. <laughs> oh. Get over yourself. It's a miserable throng tonight. Anyway, joining the miserable throng tonight is Mr. Tony Glover. Good evening, Glover. good evening. I'm not miserable. I had my two lovely granddaughters come over for dinner last night, and you know, that, that soon puts a sense of perspective back on things, doesn't it? You look at them and you think, ah, fuck it. You know, we lost. Who cares? Move on. Jog on. No, jog on's a yeah. different thing, isn't it? Move on. Onwards and upwards. To infinity and beyond. I've got to... Yeah, I've got to... I've got to be honest, you know... Uh, I mean, I'm normally quite relaxed about things. You know, I can get over things pretty quickly, you know. And I think Jonathan's point about, you know, when you've been watching Chelsea for a long time, uh, you know, you you, you know, you, you can put things in perspective. But I don't know. I think it's probably because I was on my own and I watched it on the telly. Never a good thing. Never, ever a good thing. Football is 25 million times worse watching it on your own Which on the so television. Powerless. Period. You don't have the pub yes. to go to. Yes. You don't have good people around you. You can't. You don't go to the pub. You know, it's all those things. Said it many times before. So, what, number one was that, and secondly, uh, I had to get up really early because I did the breakfast show at Love Sport. So I was, I, I, you know, I left the door at seven, so I was knackered, and then I had to get up again to do the Sunday show. And of course, what was I going to have to talk about? How bloody awful Chelsea were. So it was not a good weekend. Anyway, enough of my trials and tribulations. Um, the uh, the last uh, the last piece in our jigsaw in the tactically tactically perfect mentally appropriate Chelsea fancast tonight is of course the absolutely wonderful uh, Liam Toomey who is of course the uh, Chelsea correspondent of ESPN Liam lovely as always to have you on the show always a pleasure guys I'm just hoping that I bring the right intensity from the start of this podcast yeah Okay, I mean, I've been warning you about this for a few weeks, Liam, so, you know, don't let me down on this, all right? Yeah, it's just this a bit of a mental problem. I'm trying to deal with it. (laughs) Mm, All right, okay. Uh, Hopefully we won't be adding to your (laughs) mental problems tonight. I did rather cheekily say, I did rather cheekily say on Twitter that that we would be... uh, you know, having a group therapy session for people still struggling with the horrific loss to Spurs on Saturday. A, a helpline may be available if I deem it necessary. OK, but there we go. Um, and the other thing is, very quickly, I'm a, I apologise. It's been a terrible day for me. I, I think actually Spurs have hacked my internet because it kept breaking down today. So I think they've, they've been doubling up on it and it's crashed and been a complete Horlicks, which meant that 
everything that I've done today is massively late, including getting the show notices out and everything. So I apologise for that. Um, but I'm delighted to see that there are so many people in Mixler in spite of that. So clearly you know what to do on a Monday night, and I applaud you for it, and I shall be mentioning you again in a minute. Now, before that, uh, I should just tell you what we're going to do on the show tonight. Um, obviously, uh, I'm afraid it has to be done. We'll be revisiting the horror that played out at Wembley on Saturday. Uh, and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll ask, uh, was this the worst performance since Arsenal away in 2016? Of course, we all not know what happened after that. Uh, were the defence or the midfield the most culpable? If Sarri predicted this might happen, which I think he did, uh, why could he not do anything to counter it? Uh, in part two, very exciting, drum roll required. Uh, we're announcing the new Hyundai Extra Mile competition where every month the most dedicated fans will be, will be rewarded with club prizes, including match tickets and club merchandise. Now, to my knowledge, I think that uh, we have done an exclusive deal with Hyundai to promote this, so I'm quite chuffed about that. Anyway, more of that later, and uh, after that we'll uh, continue with the fallout from the horrible defeat to Spurs. Is there a solution to the Jorginho versus Kante debate? And will Sarri adapt to meet the challenges ahead? And is this really a time to panic? Don't panic! Anyway, in part three, oh my goodness me, of, of all weeks, of all weeks, we have, I, I don't think I've ever seen so many emails, but anyway, before we do that, in part three, we're going to announce the winner of a signed copy of Neil Smith's Where Were You When, you were sho- when We Were Shocking book. Uh, we've got four winners, and we're going to have to draw, do a draw for that one. It'll be very exciting, a bit like the FA Cup draw, but without <laughs> balls, if you see what I mean. Can we all uh, have a anyway, uh, as I also can said... Can we all have a ball each? No, I've done it. I've done. I've I've come up with a masterful plan, and all will be revealed in part three. J.K. Um, anyway, uh, other than uh, announcing that, uh, part part three and four is basically going to be made up of loads and loads and loads of emails for Jonathan to read out from all over the world this week. Quite un- uh, unbelievable. Uh, we may not even get time to do them all. I mean, it, there are that many, and some of them are like a bloody war and peace. I tell you, they're really long, but. Uh, you know, I've always promised, if you send them in, we'll read them out. So that's what we'll try and do. Uh, and of course, as always, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which of course is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast. And of course, you can join in the chat by posting on the live, live chat page, as so many of you lovely people do. And we've got, to name but a few... Conman57, uh, I saw Alan May's score, Rob Coombe, Benji Toe, If She Don't Come, Eric Morabito, uh, Maratta's Lost Penis, which has got to be my favourite, favourite, oh no, he's uh, that's a brilliant post he's just made there, could, could be a she of course, I don't know, uh, it says, I think I should change my name to Maratta's Lost Offside Penis, there we go, that's not a bad idea, uh, Byron James, So Off, Tony Glover, oh, hey. Tony's in the house hey. too, Jolly. well chat to Tony while he's in there, yep, Happy Bird, uh, Vin the Blue, Andy Silverman, lovely Andy Silverman, hope you're well, mate. Benny the Blue, uh, oh, so many. If she don't come, English Dan, oh, Bob Ray. I mean, there's so many. We love you all. We love you all. Brilliant stuff. Now, uh, apart from Mixler, of course, you can always tweet us at Chelsea Fancast. So make sure you follow us on Twitter. And uh, any time, any time of the day, I can't promise you know an immediate response if it's like four o'clock in the morning. But tweet us, let you know what you think about anything, and uh, I'll mull it over and maybe include it in a show. Anyway, after this little nonsense bit here, we'll actually start talking proper football.
Right, um, I've entitled this, of course, The Horror, The Horror. Uh, and it really felt like that. But the first question, um, I'm going to ask you, Jonathan, but uh, Jonathan, please don't... I know it's tough because I want to like... I, wanna, I mean, I, I'm quite angry, actually, and I kind of want to... I want to actually just rant for about two hours, but please keep it short and on topic. But I, I had a, I had a kind of a, one of those weird thoughts that you get, you know, when you're on your own watching the football, things pop into your head. And I kind of thought that this was possibly the worst performance since uh, that first half against Arsenal in 2016, which I was actually there for, and that was just grim. Would you, would you agree with that? Actually, I think it was the worst performance since Spurs beat us to end uh, Conte's run which had a very similar feel to it. You know, when we when we were winning all the games and we had how many we won in a, in a row. Yeah. And uh, Spurs beat us. Spurs, oh, sorry, I don't know what that was. Um, Spurs have a very good ability to uh, raise their game when they play us recently, which we don't seem to have um, for playing them. Well, actually, that's not true because we raised it last year when we beat them at Wembley. Um, so... Uh, it was a, a dire performance, but um, uh, I think what's been happening is that the first 10 to 15 minutes or 20 minutes, we've been very shuffly and they took great advantage of that. That's the first team we've done it. And we've all talked about that before. So um, uh, and then it was impossible to get back, wasn't it? And they, they played exceptionally well. And they, they as we will be debating, they created a, a tactic that um, prevented us from from playing in the same way that um, previously they had that tactic of playing the ball to the far post and Ali came in and played, uh, Ali came in and scored. I think Ali definitely raises his game against Chelsea because uh, he scored six goals against us. Yeah, because he's been shit for most has, of the last and season. And he's and been half. injured as well. And I thought he was superb. And the other thing is uh, he likes it when he has somebody to kick and somebody to intimidate because that's him as a person. And he had somebody to kick and intimidate in Jorginho. And there was an enormous amount of off-the-ball shoving and pulling of shirts going on. Um, and also, Jorginho has it in him that he doesn't enjoy being man-marked. But once again, we'll get on to uh, um, what plan B or plan C that uh, Sarri should have. So I would say, well, yes, it was okay. as terrible as the Arsenal game. But I, I think it was also as similar to the Spurs game when we lost our unbeaten run under Conte. Okay, well that's a that's a good shout, mate. I'd forgotten all about that, and that's the beautiful thing about football. You tend to expunge really awful results. Well, I do anyway. I, I, I kind of tend to forget them. Um, you know, Liam, would you would you say this was the worst performance since that Arsenal game? Um, no, well, no. I think there were bad performances under Conte last year. I still think the 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 low yeah. the low point of last season for me at least what I took away from it memory wise was the, the loss away to city when Chelsea didn't even try. Um, oh, that, that yeah. to me was, uh, I felt like an emotional low point for the players and, and, and the moment when I think Conte lost a lot of sympathy from the fans, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a really, really poor performance. I mean, they, they started tentatively, um, as they have done in recent weeks. And, Spurs, I, I actually think in the history of Spurs and Chelsea games, Spurs' performance level hasn't wavered that much. It's been Chelsea's performance level that's wavered massively. And when, when Chelsea are on it, they can match Spurs even at their best and, and beat them. But when they're not, 
um, anything can happen. And I think Spurs have generally brought the same level of intensity to these games. Uh, and and Chelsea Chelsea couldn't live with it, despite the fact that, as you say, Sarri had warned his players and he'd said it publicly that he expected Spurs to do this. And, and he, he felt that he hadn't seen enough aggression and intensity from, from Chelsea in the last few games. So it bears a few questions. One, why was there no reaction from the players? Um, and, and why was Sarri not able to get a reaction from them over that international break when it was so clear to everyone what was probably going to come? Um, I, there were obviously tactical elements as well. But honestly, I, I think that, you know, the Spurs clearly got the tactics right, but I, I thought it was more about the performance level of the two teams because Chelsea lost by the same score to Spurs last season playing a very different style of football, but with, with a very different, with a very similar performance level. If they don't turn up, Spurs will beat them. Yeah, that's a very, that's a very good point. I mean, you you could say that Liam about you know any side in the Premier League. That's the beauty of it. You know, if you don't turn up, if you're not at it 100, percent and the other team are, they're going to beat you. I mean, Tony, my, my, I think uh, you know, the reason why I picked out you know the Arsenal away game, um, and, and I'm saying that I think it's the worst performance since then because I don't think I've seen us look so utterly chaotic and all <clears throat> over the place. So. So utterly, utterly out of shape. I mean, I know the Roma game uh, comes a very close second, but we, we were rinsed yeah. that day against Arsenal and it could have been way more than 3-0 at half-time. And, of course, you know, yesterday it could have been 6-7. Yeah. Let's, not, let's okay. not kid ourselves here. It could have been that. So that's why I'm comparing it to that. But I mean, well, what, I'm with JK on this one. I think, I think the, the Spurs game where we lost our 13 game, I mean, we, we'd, we'd already done the damage on the, on the premiership by that point anyway. So, you know, you, you just work on the simple law of averages. The, the longer a winning run goes on, the more likely it is that it's going to end. Um, against Arsenal, um, we held and fought back a bit in the second half um, to prevent it being a complete rout. Um, I seem to recall Conte maybe parked the bus or whatever for that second half as he shook his head and thought, this has got to change. Um, uh, and we didn't this this weekend. Uh, how it wasn't six or seven. Well, we know why it wasn't six, seven, eight goals. And that was because of Kepa, really, um, who pulled out um, two or three absolute masterful saves. But, you know, you have to look at Son missing pretty much an open goal. Ali also doing the same. Um, we lived a charmed life. And, um, you know, I'm afraid 3-1 didn't really reflect just how much better than us they were. And we've got to take that one on the chin. I think I'm, I'm with Liam as well. Um, you know, it's a mystery. Uh, I've, I've made my comments, you know, uh, the manager comes out and says a few negative things and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, you're right. When Conti did it, he was absolutely torn to pieces for that. And I just think, he, you know, there's there's a kind of stubbornness. I, I, I've said it before, he's, I've, I've not got one opinion or the other on him, but I'm seeing Wenger. In there, I'm seeing a, a. This is my way of playing. That's that. And if there there is no other way, and that really worries me, really worries me. Um, but yeah, we were we were we were well and truly done. We were well and truly done, mate. It was um, if it was a boxing match, you'd have called it off after 20 minutes, wouldn't you? <laughs> Uh, well, you would. Uh, I mean, it was all over, really, after yeah. the second goal. And I mean, the minute that third one went in, that was that was absolutely it. But um, I just want to pick up on on what Liam said a minute ago, actually, because I thought, uh, you know, that's uh, I think that's a very interesting point because, you know, 
we have talked about this. There, there has been an element of the last few weeks that, that, that you know, a, a, you know, a proper, you know, nasty defeat was was lurking around the corner. And you know, I made a point of this uh, on Friday night. I think Jonathan will probably remember, but you know, Sarri predicted this in his press conference. I mean, what, what he said then was, "It's not a tactical problem. It's not a physical problem. We have to approach the match in a different way for application and determination." Uh, and the other thing he said, which I also mentioned, was that he was worried about our ability to keep the ball on our own half, having the right mentality, and being, uh, you know, vulnerable to the short counter attack, i.e., Spurs nicking it in our half of the pitch and then ripping through the, us, which is what they did. So, I mean, the thing is, J.K., I don't, I don't really know what to make of it. And I think, you know, Tony and, and, and Liam and yourself probably have all alluded to this, and particularly Liam, saying, you know, if, 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 he was, if he was saying this, and he's saying this to the players, you know, why didn't they do anything? Is it complacency or just lethargy or what? Well, I was intrigued by, uh, by Match of the Day, um, pointing out uh, uh, sympathetically, actually, what they felt was going wrong. By, by saying that also that it was work in progress, that he'd always said, but how the players weren't actually making the effort. And, and he, he highlighted William, um, who I'm you know, always a big fan of, of his head going down and, and just not making any effort to, to press. And they just seemed to be um, just under-energised. Mm. Um, and uh, it's a mystery to me how you can't get... The manager can't get his players to to work in the first fifteen minutes. Perhaps some of them haven't got faith in the system, um, and if that's the case, we're slightly on shaky ground, aren't we? Because we've we've been there before with uh, yep. with Scolari here, and, here. Uh, and AVB uh, and AVB, and uh, he then got ousted by the players essentially because they wouldn't uh, bend enough. So um, perhaps some are playing better than others, but I was I was intrigued to see that the that they should have been pressing more, which made great sense um, to actually. Uh, but the other thing, of course, is is the uh, the Son goal to see Jorginho so off the pace with Son was just completely embarrassing, and of course it makes you think what you know Kante in that position would have kept up with him and nicked the ball away from him. So. Uh, we'll get on to this, you know, obviously we need to, they need to reverse the positions, but if, if he was so aware of what was going on, why didn't he make a change early on or try and encourage them in some yeah. way to, to counter this? Um, but, or, and also he, he must have been dealing with this in Napoli. I mean, for, you know, if people must have worked out that Jorginho is the pulse of the team. So therefore, um, they would put men on Jorginho. So therefore, he had a way of going, of moving around that. He must have had that because it's pretty obvious that if he's the if he's the fulcrum of the side, is you stop him from playing. Well, then somebody else then has to take on the the onus, or he has to change it in some way. But they don't seem to be um, at the moment educated enough in the system to be able to do that, or he doesn't know who can do that for him. And it may be that that's the problem. Is he, he was hoping that he could get the players to be further advanced. But they've come up against a, uh, a, one of the better sides in the division and it's been too much for them. Uh, and Perhaps it, you know, it works against lesser clubs who aren't as, as, as speedy or, or they haven't got as good players. But suddenly when you're playing against a top six side, 
um, you're you're being found out, and you need to find a way of of you need to find a better system. And as I say, I don't understand why he didn't implement that. Or um, he said he was taken aback by by Ali's uh, approach to to stifle Jorginho, but it was much the same as happened in the Everton game. So. Why? Yeah, but Jonathan, you're right. If 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 he was, why doesn't why didn't Indeed. he change it? Why does? Or, that's why what does I can't have understand. A, an alternative if he knows that's going to start happening. And as I say, he must have done it at Napoli. I mean, does Liam know know about this? Did he? he, he that must have been something that occurred all the time at Napoli. Three seasons, your best player um, must have had um, um, full time markers on him all the way through. I mean, and so you just deal with it accordingly. Well, and particularly because the Italian league's the most tactical league in the world. So, if yeah. any if any group of coaches were going to quickly cotton on to the idea that if you stop Jorginho, you stop Sarri's system, um, it would be the the coaches of Serie A. So, I, I you know I didn't watch Napoli every week. Uh, I saw them a couple of times in the Champions League, so I can't claim to know in too much detail. But I'm sure they would have faced that, and I think the answer is the answer you would get from Sarri is that you need to move the ball with speed and precision and turn the team's pressing against them. And um, if you can't play through Jorginho, you play around him through other people. And I think the problem against Spurs was that the other people who got the ball, uh, Kante and Kovacic did not do enough. They kept giving the ball away, as did everyone else. I think the onus is on the other players who get the ball to to make quick quicker decisions and be more accurate with what they do. But it's also on the players around them to give them options. And I think it was just a failure of everything. They they didn't have the the options on the ball um, to get at, to escape from Tottenham's press. And Tottenham are an excellent pressing team. It's one of the things they do best. Um, and they didn't have the the speed of thought and the speed of foot early on in the game to really set the tone for for getting around Spurs because when a team is pressing like Spurs do if you get around them they're in trouble we saw a couple of times when Chelsea tried to hit the ball long and if the pass had been right and if Alvaro Morata hadn't been constantly offside um, there there would have been a viable counter to what Spurs were doing but Chelsea never got close to that because they couldn't put more than two passes together there were a couple of moments, three or four moments, mm. in fact, where we did we did look like um, the you know the, the passing team that we can be. And you're absolutely right, Ben. Morata was offside. In yeah, and you just well, think I, I think as well. Sorry, just to say, I, th- I think as well the you know Spurs obviously were much the better team for the ninety minutes, but after the first goal, Chelsea were just beginning to to get. Half half a foot yeah. in the game, and they yeah. had pushed Spurs back a couple of times, and then the Kane goal was an absolute killer because it came out. It, 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 it in relative terms, it came out of nowhere. It wasn't one of Spurs' most dangerous moments, and it was you know a cat a catalog. And we we could have had a penalty just yeah, before exactly. that. it should have had a penalty. He was brought down by Foyth. Although I don't yeah. necessarily blame Martin Atkinson for not giving it because when I saw it in real time, I wasn't sure. Um, and it was only on the replay that when you see it in slow motion, it looks obvious. But that's true of a lot of things, you know. Um, but yeah, the Kane goal was yeah. the killer, and I think from that point, Chelsea were lost. Yeah, and I think the way that their heads drop, Liam, and and you know the fact that they they chucked it in a bit, I, I, you know, does worry me. And it's it's something that we've actually seen for 
quite a while, really, if we're honest about Chelsea teams. It's that lack of leadership, and that is a bit of a worry. I mean, look, you know, as as ever, I, you know, sometimes we. I mean, I carry Kerry, bless his heart, Kerry Dixon always says this to me. He says, "Oh, shut up talking about systems and tactics and formations. It's a load of nonsense. It's about players." And I think actually, there's, there's there is a truth to that, and. You know, basically from 1 to 11, well, no, Kepper I would absolve of this because I thought he was okay apart from maybe the first goal. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, most of our players had a stinker and most of Tottenham's players had an absolute worldie and uh, absolutely carried out Pochettino's plan uh, to, to, the, to the nth degree. And in fact, I think he did a superb number on us. I mean, Deli Ali on Jorginho marked him out of the game, the doubling up on Hazard. I mean, all these things we kind of expect now. But I also think things like attacking down our, our, our left flank, so targeting Alonso, who is a very good wing back, but is still not quite, you know, a, a good left back because he's far too high up the pitch. He leaves huge gaps. That's how the, uh, the Son goal came about. Deli Ali realised that, picked a great pass out to Son. Jorginho had to run across and cover. You know, he, he runs like he's going backwards, uh, you know, and then David Luiz, the most unbelievable non-tackle I've ever seen. And I think the other thing they did that was really good, something I picked up again uh, on uh, on Sunday, was the fact that they also kind of allowed Kante to have the ball because I think that they suspected that his distribution wouldn't be, you know, as good as, say, you know, Jorginho or Hazard or, or, or Kovacic. And that was also proved right. So I think tactically they absolutely banged us to rights. But, you know, I asked this question of Jonathan uh, last week who, who poo-pooed me in the nicest possible way. Um, but I kind of do wonder, you know, it, it, this happens so many times in, in the Premier League. I mean, just to bore you a little bit more, you know, I was talking to somebody about, uh, you know, the teams that come up, like the Wolves this season, for example. How many times have you seen uh, a newly promoted championship side do really, really well in the first half of the season and then absolutely fall away in the second? And it's usually because everybody's worked them out. You know, they're no longer new and they figured out what they do and they, and they, they adapt to that. And I think in a sense, you know, I really do think that in a sense... Opposition managers have worked us out to a degree and we really do need to, to come up with alternatives. But I'm going to ask you the same question, Jonathan. i kind of expecting the same reply, but I'm going to ask it to you. Do you think we've been sussed out? Uh, no, I think this is a way of playing. <laughs> but uh, no, I don't, because um, uh, as Liam said, after the goal, we started to gain a foothold. And if the penalty had been given, it would have been 1-1 in a completely different game. And... Yeah. Uh, and our heads definitely dropped after the... I mean, you've got to give Kane the credit. Is the credit. Kane has a pop from everywhere and anywhere, off balance, falling forwards, falling, doing his bootlaces up, when in doubt, have a dip. And uh, I, I commend him. And that was just, you know, obviously Louis thought that it was... The goalkeeper would have been completely in charge of it and didn't bother to even, you know, even moved out of the way so as not to... Yeah, but he should have got something in the well, way, surely. Surely he should have got his leg in the way. It never occurred to him that the book... I'm, I'm not a, a mad critic of Louis in that moment because I think he was... Uh, well, he was, But in that, no, in that, in that, in that, in that instant, not. I mean, Chidge, because everybody had been saying, oh, why didn't he get, get in front? But I think he was trying to avoid the fact that it was going to go for a corner or something or be diverted. He didn't realise that... Oh. that yeah. yeah, but don't second-guess <laughs> it. I mean, come on, when in doubt, no, kick it I, out. I'm, I'm, yeah. I know, you know, you, schoolboy yeah, stuff, no, JK. I, I, well, yeah, but at the same time, I, I don't think that was schoolboy stuff. I think the uh, 
the the third goal was 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 risible beyond belief. It was embarrassing. Oh, but yeah. the um, that goal, I think he it, he just presumed it was going to be a long shot that the goalkeeper would handle easily. Not that uh, that 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 Kepper would be unsighted. But um, no, no, I, I I'm still have faith in the team. I think we'll. I don't, you know, I don't think the the Ranieri effect is going to cause us to lose to Fulham. You know, it's the opposite. In fact, I think I think we're going to. I think we'll beat Fulham easily. They won't be able to deal with it. They'll try and do a version of suppressing Jorginho. But you would hope that by then, as you, they'll be they'll be pressing more. As Liam says, yeah, it makes great sense. As he said, you have to if you pass the ball more quickly, um, they will then be out of position because they're. But they're pressing in the wrong areas, but we didn't because everybody had a nightmare. So, I, as my one of my favourite quotes, J.K. is the, the the good old Les Dawson. Bless his heart. Who remembers Les Dawson? There's hundreds of, of American listeners are going, "What the earth is he talking about?" He's uh, they're playing all the right notes, but not necessarily in the right order. Anyway, I'll leave you with that thought uh, because we've got so much more to talk about. Uh, but anyway, part two, uh, we're going to announce. Uh, the new Hyundai Extramar competition where every month the most dedicated fans will be rewarded with club prizes, including match tickets and club merchandise. And then we'll continue with the fallout from the horrible defeat to Spurs, talking about the Jorginho versus Kante debate. And uh, will, in fact, Sarri adapt to meet the challenges ahead? And, of course, is it really time to panic? We already know what Jonathan thinks about that. I think he would say no. But we will find out more after this break. Only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. All right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you, of course, are listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And a uh, quick reminder for everybody uh, to check out the ChelseaFancast.com website. Loads of great stuff on there. Um, I am. I have been forewarned by the wonderful Dean Mears that he is, at this very minute, plotting like a Bond villain an, an article on how to solve the Jorginho and Kante conundrum. Uh, so I wait with bated breath on that one. I haven't seen him in, in Mixler actually tonight. I'm, oh, he is in. He's there. He's there. Maybe we will hear, hear more of that in a minute. Now, um, there's a brilliant thing. Uh, your Uncle Chid has been working hard. And you may recall that on Twitter not so long ago that we, um, that we basically um, kind of did a bit of a promo with Hyundai. And we... Um, we basically were kind of, you know, putting out match day tickets for the lucky people who kind of tweeted us and and that kind of thing, and it was very successful. And as a result of that, they've decided to uh, to work with us on something that is very, very exciting, which I'm going to announce to you now, and it's the Hyundai Extra Mile competition. Now, Hyundai Motor has announced a new multi-year partnership with Chelsea Football Club, which you probably all know about, and that's seen the uh, seen the brand presented on the sleeve of the new shirt and worn in all domestic competitions, and it's going from this season until 2022. And they are Chelsea's global automotive partner. I think that means car in English, but anyway. As well as the visibility on the shirt, the car manufacturer will also benefit from exposure through displays at the club, home match day presents, including the uh, the uh, perimeter branding, you know, on the, on, on the touchline, and various kind of other media and digital content stuff. Now, during this partnership, Hyundai... Uh, they want to work closely with the with Chelsea to develop a range of initiatives and benefits for club supporters. 
And part of its aim is to improve mobility and make football more accessible to fans, which so far all sounds so good. But this is the real humdinger. Uh, the lengths that Chelsea FC fans go to in support of their club will now be recognised by Hyundai as part of its new competition, which is called the Extra Mile. Now, the observant among you will know that uh, last week I, I put this on Twitter and our website, but... Uh, to launch the competition, Hyundai has told the stories of a Blues fan, Jake Cohen, who, of course, we know quite well. He's been on the show before. And last May, in 2017, he flew to London from Boston uh, in the USA to watch Chelsea legend John Terry's last home game for the club before flying back the following day for work. Uh, the next week, he then travelled all the way back to London to watch the Blues play in the FA Cup final against Arsenal at Wembley. Goodness gracious me. Now, the extra mile... No, talking of miles, I expect his mile rewards are pretty pretty good on his airline. Anyway, the extra mile will celebrate fans by acknowledging the lengths they go to follow their team. Every month, the competition will reward the most dedicated fans with club prizes, including match tickets and club merchandise. Now, at the end of the season, one of the monthly winners will win the ultimate prize for any football fan, the opportunity to travel across Europe to watch each of Hyundai's partner clubs in action, so Chelsea, Roma... Atletico Madrid and Hertha Berlin. Now, if you want to enter this, it's quite simple, and I will put this on our Twitter feed later, of course, and I'll put it in the uh, the blog that goes up with the podcast. But to enter, you simply need to visit the website, which is blog.hyundai, H-Y-U-N-D-A-I, .co.uk forward slash the hyphen extra hyphen mile. And then you tell your story about uh, how you've gone the extra mile in support of Chelsea. Now, you'll need to do this uh, to tell the story in 400 characters or less and upload an image showing your passion for Chelsea if you want to have a chance to win club prizes such as match tickets and official merchandise. Now, that all sounds jolly good to me. And uh, I'm hoping that when uh, when we do uh, you know, get, get a few winners that we'll, we'll get to interview them and they'll be on the podcast with us. So that'll be great fun. So first of all, chaps, what do you think of that? Well, I, I, I don't think that uh, that was too impressive, that going back and forward, because it's just like being stuck in the tube. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, what have you done then? Okay, okay, smarty pants, what have you done to go the extra mile? I've then? been stuck oh. in the tube more often than, oh, you've had hot dinners, Jude. Oh. Um. <laughs> that was a bit of a reducer there, JK. It was just like being in the tube, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> no, no, I think it's fantastic. No, He's I, such I a grumpy old so I can't like... compare. I, I live a life of luxury. I never make any effort to go and watch the blues, do I? I just occasionally, I'm, you know, my, my uh, manservant... Um, puts me in the uh, gives me a rug and puts me in the sidecar for the motorbike <laughs> and, uh, and I, I know i have no problem at all i've given a good book to read and uh, have a doze you know venison sandwich so i know i can't compete at all no that's wonderful jake beyond beyond the realms of duty i mean my goodness mm, yeah, yeah absolutely wonderful I, mean, I, the, thought the I, had, I, I thought I did all right. Yeah, travelling up from Portsmouth. I thought well, that was all right, you know, but yeah, it's, good, it is, yeah. is it? I mean, I, I know people in the club who, who travel from Bournemouth, um, uh, a couple of people who travel down um, from um, from Stafford, um, and you, you just got to admire those people, especially like Chidge. You know, you and I have both commented, and you know, the older we get, the harder it is to get off our asses and, and sort of go up there or whatever. So I think, plus, I think anything that kind of, in a, in a, in a period when you've got, uh, a disconnect a lot of people feel between the club and the fans. You know, you only have to talk about last week's, um, you know, shirt debacle, um, as some people described it for the uh, US fans, which I, I think is a lot of fuss about nothing. Anything that, that, that kind of tries to bridge that is a good initiative, isn't it? Why why, why, you know, why not do it? Why not have a go? <laughs> it, helps. it helps, doesn't it? 
I, I kind of sadly agree with both you and JK that um, this is a competition that sadly I will not be able to <laughs> enter because uh, I, I am phenomenally lazy and historically so. I mean, the only time I started going to Chelsea regularly was when I lived 10 minutes walk away from the ground which I deemed just, you know, that was just about doable, really. So I'm, I'm a bit of a Fairweather fan in that respect. But I, I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, just about how far you've travelled. I think, you know, they they just happen to pick on yeah. Jake first, and that is quite a, quite a story. I think you can go go the extra mile to support Chelsea in many, many ways. I mean, you know, for example, I could enter having gone the extra mile by doing this podcast for 10 years and having to put up with you lot every Monday for the last oh, 10 years. I mean, that deserves a flaming medal as far as I'm concerned. You but, you win, know, it could be anything. You win it immediately in that case, shouldn't you, really? Nothing, JK. I, think I, <laughs> I fear, Jonathan, that I may be prohibited. JK, JK, you've got that in the wrong way. I, I, man. Say, I, I think I, I, we've put up with Chidge. I, I think he's got oh, that in the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We should write it a second. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> I, I, I certainly delivered that one up on you a plate did. for you two, didn't I? But I mean, you know, sadly, I think I think I may well be prohibited from entering as I am involved in this competition. Um, last word for uh, for Liam. I mean, you know, you have to sit in the press box every week, and occasionally some Herbert leans over the uh, the, the middle uh, stand tier to make gestures at you, which puts you off doing your work. I mean, I think that also deserves an extra mile. Well, I mean, I get in for free and I get paid, so, and uh, I, and I get fed as well. There's free internet, so I think I whatever the opposite <laughs> of the extra mile is, I think that's probably me. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, there we go. There we have it. So basically, the four of us on the Chelsea fancast tonight are probably the least <laughs> deserving uh, potential entrance to the Hyundai extra mile uh, extra mile competition. But that's good. You see, that's good news because it means that all of you you lot out there are far more deserving than us and should jolly well enter this competition. And I'll give you a reminder now again. All you have to do is go to uh, blog.hyundai.co.uk forward slash the, the hyphen extra hyphen mile. And if you go in there, tell you, tell, basically tell them your story, why, why you've gone the extra mile for Chelsea and uh, do it in 400 characters or less. Put up an, a, a photograph that articulates that and you could win prizes like match tickets and official merchandise. I think it sounds great. So there we go. Now, back to the football. Um my oh, goodness me! It seems so long ago. I can't remember where we left off now. But I'm gonna I'm gonna have a very quick one here, which is uh, Sari. You know, did do something to change things, but probably not what any of us ex- expected. So he, he kind of took off Morata, uh, but he didn't bring on Giroud directly. Um, you know, he basically tried to play uh, the false number nine with Hazard playing the number nine. Um, very quickly before we get into whether that you know was a good idea or not, I, I, I've just got to mention Morata. I mean. 18 times offside this season. He has been more offside than Bournemouth for the whole of the season. It just beggars belief. And I, I wrote, I wrote a very, uh, you know, m- measured and you know defensive argument about Morata because of the problems he, that he's going with with uh, seeing the psychologists and stuff. Uh, but the one thing I did say at the end of it, because I don't think Football London have put it up yet, much to my annoyance. But there Probably you go. The one thing I did say in his defence. Probably what? a good idea, Chidge, if you were... Well, I don't know. Well, I wasn't necessarily, and that was my point. I mean, I was I was pointing out some facts, as I like to do. I was sympathetic to, to the problems that he's having and said that needs to be taken under consideration. But what I did finish up with by saying was that, you know, at the end of the day, um, it doesn't. You, you can go and see a psychologist for all sorts of issues and stuff, and I, I should know, I've got one. Uh, but the reality is, you know, when you're talking about a striker... You've got to be a killer, you know. You've got to be really aggressive and massively confident. And that kind of stuff is born. It's not made. 
you know, and I just don't think he has the mentality to be a winner, you know, and to be an absolutely top elite striker. And every time we see him play, I think it gets borne out more and more. I, I mean, I don't, if anybody wants to add something, I would say put your hand up, but shout first would be the... I agree. I think. I think he's been given more than enough time and chances. Um, I personally, the more I see of him, the more I think he just doesn't want to be there. And then I look at Giroud and think he holds the ball up better. He brings in other players better. Um, his attitude is first class, absolutely first class. Um, you know, uh, the guy really wants to play. Uh, he's aware of his own limitations. Um, and uh, and I'm not sure. I, I generally, I thought Murat has had, he's had plenty of chances. And I just think, no, nah, no, nah. he's not, he's not. It's not good enough for me. Not good enough. I think the problem is, though, is, is okay. that Giroud doesn't work with Sarri's ideal setup, does he? Because he wants a much quicker forward. That's why he persists with Morata, because he thinks Morata will provide that speed or will provide that, that um, I don't know, that just that touch of, of uh, getting into position for the others. Whereas Giroud is not a, not a, a swift player. And yet the dilemma is, is that Giroud is um, a perfect foil to a slightly different type of football. Um, he took his goal wonderfully. And uh, there was a, a moment um, a few seconds later uh, in the Spurs game when actually we had a, who was it? Was it a Pedro shot? Uh, that's where it was. And he almost scored. And you thought, well, bloody hell, the Spurs have taken their foot off the pedal completely. If they'd scored then, it might have been a wonderful a wonderful 3-3. We wouldn't be having any of this debate. Um uh, but uh, no, I'm, I'm, I, I agree that Giroud should play instead of Morata, but he still isn't what really Chelsea should be having in that position. Can I just say one thing on this? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course, Liam. Yeah, of course. I, I don't want to say any more about Morata because I think we, 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 we've, said it, we've said it all. I'll just... One stat that, that um, sort of hit out on me when I, when I was looking at it None of Hazard's seven Premier League goals this season have come with Morata on the pitch. Blimey. None of them. Yeah, blimey. And I think, uh, and I think you know, regardless of what Morata does in isolation for the team, regardless of, uh, regardless of how well he plays in a vacuum, how many goals he scores, Chelsea's only chance to be an elite team is by maximising Hazard. And if having Morata on the pitch in any way inhibits Hazard then he can't be in the team yeah I agree and do you know what Liam when you said that well you should have you should have just looked over the top of you should have got yourself a pair of glasses just looked over the top of them and gone the case rests my lad yes. <laughs> honestly <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, well absolutely damning absolutely damning yeah it is Jonathan yeah. You 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 sound a bit dis Jonathan. Hello? You sound a bit Hello? distant and like the mic's a bit muffled. Hello? Yeah. Can I think it might be you must be wearing your great big uh, kind of scarf <laughs> thing. Would be my guess. And you're maybe covering the mic up with it, but you do. You sound a bit muffled, I'm mate. I'm naked, but I am wearing the scarf. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Well, put the scarf around yeah, your naughty right, bits. Yeah. Keep them warm, and then uh, we can okay. hear you better. Um, listen, I just want to move this on. I want to move this on because there's so much to get in tonight. Uh, and I really do think we need to get into this Jorginho Kante debate, which has caused monstrous meltdowns and accusations and, and aggro on Twitter. What a surprise. You know, the Sar Sarri Easters, or whatever they call themselves, and the, 
people with practical sense, you might ask. I don't know, whatever. I'm going to read these two quotes out because, in a sense, this encapsulates the argument for me. And they're they're both from people that we know and love. Uh, One of them is Dan Levine and the other is Simon Phillips, who, of course, you know, for those of you that do go to the website, will know that Simon writes a lot of stuff for us. Uh, Quite a measured chap in his own way. Now, Dan said this. He says, Jorginho, rightly lauded for his supreme passing in possession games, all the use of a chocolate teapot when Chelsea are without the ball. If only Sarri had at his disposal a world-class midfield ball winner, one, say, with a shiny new five-year contract in his name. So Dan's nailed his colours to the mask quite firmly there. And While Simon, Simon says, concede goals, people immediately believe it's because Kante isn't playing defensive midfield anymore. No, it's because the players aren't pressing as a unit or making the right recovery runs. We are playing a different system that doesn't use a defensive midfielder. When will people realise this? Now, for my own two penneth worth, um, I think I can see the sense in both arguments, actually, because, you know, Kante's the best defensive midfield player in the world, and it seems criminal that we don't play him there. But the, the, the reality is, is that Sarri's entire system and the way he wants to play football depends on Jorginho being in that role. And, and Simon is right. Under Sarri's system, we do not play with a defensive midfielder. And if we were to put Kante in as defensive midfield, then we would no longer be playing Sarri's system. Uh, and, and I can't see Sarri changing that at all. Now, I, I agree with a lot of the people that say, well, shove Kante back in defensive midfield because, by God, our, our defence needs some protection. And, of course, you know, those of you will remember that, funnily enough, we talked about the Arsenal game earlier on where we got dubbed 3-0. Um, and we played with the back four that day, and they got absolutely rinsed. And, you know, basically, Cahill, no pace. Louise, no pace. Yada, yada, yada. So Conte changed it to offer that defence more protection with basically having five at the back with the wing backs. And, of course, Kante was played very much in the defensive midfield role. So I can see why everybody's leaping up and down and saying, we must do this, we must do this, we must do this. But I think if you do that, you, you bury... Uh, Sarri system. Now, I, I think that there's a there's maybe an out here, but I still don't see Sarri doing this. I think, you know, it's crying out for a 4-2-3-1, you know, where you've got Jorginho playing slightly advanced, you know, the whole double pivot thing that people bore everybody with stupid on Twitter. But, you know, Kante playing the more defensive role, Jorginho playing the more attacking role on the pivot, and maybe that's the solution. But I still don't see him doing it. Um, Liam, I'm going to ask you this one first, because your understanding of tactics, I think, trumps all of us. Although I might be being rude to Jonathan and... and uh, no, not at all, you're not. I'm sure they'll forgive me. Well, I mean, where do you sit on the whole... Jo- I mean, you know, basically what I've said is that I can see both arguments, yeah. but I think that under Sarri, uh, you know, he's not going to change system. He's not going to play Kante defensive midfield, because in his in- the entire football that he wants to play rests on Jorginho being his playmaker. In other words, he doesn't play with a defensive midfielder. And I think, well, maybe you could have a compromise by playing 4-2-3-1 with, uh, with Jorginho and Kante on the pivot, with, with Kante clearly being the more defensive of the two. You could do. Um, and I think it's not beyond the realms of the possibility that that could happen if, if results continue to go awry. But the, I think the problem that Sarri sees with that is that we saw it when Mourinho played 4-2-3-1 at Chelsea, is that it, it, it creates a lot of defensive responsibility for the wingers. So you'd suddenly be in a situation where Hazard would have to protect Alonso, which doesn't sound like it will end well, um, to, to, to be honest. Whereas in the, in the 4-3-3, when you have a guy like Mateo Kovacic who does work up and down, there's not so much 
pressure on Hazard to do defensive work and he can function more as an inside forward rather than a winger. So I think the 4-2-3-1 might cost you the best of what Hazard can give. It's not an easy problem to solve, but as you say, this is this is Sarri ball. You know, if you want a, a plan B, you don't appoint Sarri. He's a, he's a tactical ideologue. He sees football in a certain way. He played this way at Napoli. Abramovich appointed him because he wanted to see this football at Chelsea. They brought in Jorginho to make that process easier. And, uh, you know, there's I think there's always a tendency in this country, it happened in, in Guardiola's first season as well, where when you have these really ideological managers and they have a setback, any setback becomes a referendum on their whole way of football. But that doesn't yeah. seem to happen with more pragmatic managers like Allardyce and, you know, your Mourinho's of the world. You know, they, they lose and it's just a loss. Whereas these guys, they have a certain view of, of the game. And I think people t- tend to take a bit of delight in, in, in trashing it when it, when it fails. Um, but the point is that if Chelsea execute this system, we've seen that it can be very effective and that they can play a very high level and very entertaining football. I think the... The way to solve this is not necessarily by Sarri compromising what he wants to do. It's eventually, probably looking ahead to next summer, getting players that are more suited to play this football. That's what happened with Guardiola. You know, he didn't have the players to play exactly the way he wanted in his first season, and you could see that he went. They went out and, and bought a goalkeeper and bought some fullbacks, and suddenly it, it looks totally different. Chelsea need to try to do the same the problem is they don't have City's resources so we'll see how it goes but I think that's the only way to solve this you don't you don't tell Sarri to not be Sarri mm. don't throw the baby out of the bathwater Jonathan yeah I, I, I agree completely with Liam I think that's that's exactly what the I think the board will will, uh, will back Sarri obviously not to the degree that uh, City can do but um yeah, that's, that's absolutely right, because remember, Guardiola was just Mr. Angry all the time when he was being, and everybody was pleased that he was not the manager they thought he would be. Um, but the plan was um, a good one, uh, and, and slowly but surely, he moulded them into this machine. Um, and I think Sarri needs to be given time to do that. And, uh, and, uh, and as Liam says, I think we've, we've reacted ludicrously over one game of a team that um, can play very well and did play very well, and we just didn't quite uh, deal with it. Um, and uh, yes, I think one has to be brutal about this. If um, if the if the players don't uh, use dreadful baseball um, metaphor, step up to the plate, um, then uh, then I think they don't get selected. It's just a question of how many of them. Uh, can actually do it and fit in because so far we've been thinking well actually they all seem to be very capable of playing this way but once again as I've reiterated if you start playing against a, a top side who can tactically unpick you uh, or have better players that's when you see who isn't performing properly and uh, it just so happened that there was a major mm. meltdown as we've said that none of them performed properly and they were found out but um, uh, I think it was because they weren't playing the system properly um, and so he has to find players who play the system or get everybody to improve uh, and uh, as I say I think I think they'll 
they'll take Fulham to the cleaners because they'll have had a rocket up them and they'll know even more uh, what they're supposed to be playing because he will be dinning them, dinning it into them at this moment where their errors were. And they have to be much more um, uh, fluent with what they're doing. Mm. Well, I, I, that's a good point. I mean, Tony, what my fear is is what you alluded to earlier on, which is, you know, A, he might not have the players to play his system and it'll take him time to get the right players. And I fear that we, we just don't have the endless resources that Guardiola does at City to be able to get, you know, even, well, good enough players to compete with them for a start. But the other thing that, that occurred to me, as it clearly did to you, <coughs> is that, you know, having a manager who who won't uh, adapt his uh, adapt to his system or to uh, really kind of prepare. I mean, we don't know this for a fact, of course, but one gets the impression that he worries more about how we play rather than how the opposition play. And that sounds very Arsene Wenger-like to me. And the other thing, of course, very much like Arsene Wenger's Arsenal, they were great at whipping, you know, the lesser teams week in, week out. But whenever they came against the big teams, their rivals in the top four, five, six, they would invariably lose. And I think, you know, my fear is that we end up like a team like that. You know, we can whip everybody else, but when we play Liverpool, Man United, well, no, maybe not them, City, Spurs, you know, maybe even Arsenal, we, we won't do very well. And that, that is a worry. It's a huge worry. Um, I, I, I did put a few tweets out around the fact that there's, there does seem to be this, um, I don't know if it's a lack of a plan B or a lack of a desire for a plan B. You know, this is the way we play. We stick rigidly to it. I think, Liam, you described him as an ideologue, which... Um, you know, seems to sum up what I know of him. He could be about to change, but you know, when you look at the great, great managers of the past, um, and I'll always say that the one who was able to have a plan B was Alex Ferguson. I mean, the man could play, you know, he knew that the fans wanted good football, but he also knew when to grind out a result and when not to lose. And I think, you know, that uh, uh, if you're looking at kind of total management, you've got to have that capability. It's no good sitting there thinking, well, you know, I, you, everyone on this call, everyone listening to this will soon get tired of hearing the kind of stuff that Mark Hughes is coming out with at the moment, which is can't fault the performance, can't fault the effort, you know, blah, 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 but still losing games or still not getting there. And I think that's going to wear very thin. I think on Jonathan's point about... You know, we're going to have to go and buy somebody. Um, that that will be down to the board then, because Sarri's already said. I think he said it after the game that this isn't a case of going off to 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 buy players. This is a case of you resolve this in training. And I think his words were, but of course we haven't got an awful lot of time for training because of all the games we've got. So I think you know this. You know, I, I I'm a I'm one of life's natural. Chelsea pessimists, I suppose, and and uh, I'll always kind of look on a slightly darker side of things or whatever. But you know, you can't help but look at it and think, um, you know, are we seeing repeats of stuff we've seen before, of managers who just or coaches, call them what you like, who 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 have a dogma, uh, a specific thing, a, a specific way, it's their way or the highway, um, and of course you're going to come up against Roman when things start to go wrong. Um, I. I I think if 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 we go on a you know five or six game unbeaten run winning run then and everything starts to look a bit rosy. But ask yourself again. I think Jonathan J.K. raised it. You know why didn't the players react? What was what was going on there? And and, and you know we've had all the finger pointing Louise and whatever. But you know as has had a shocking badly season by his standards. I think <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know none of them cover themselves in glory. But there's. You know, you look to your coach, don't you, for something to change? Um, 
and it wasn't there. And it did. It just looked very much like Wenger. In it, I don't mean physically. I mean in that kind of intransigence. That's the word I was looking for. That kind of. Um, that's the way I'm going to stick to it. Uh, just to just to make one one point based on um, recent Chelsea history. You know, you're talking about you know, shades of of AVB and Scolari in, in terms of idealistic managers. The, the the big difference for me between those situations and this one is that they were trying to get a group of players who, or a core of players that were still very much of the church of Mourinho in terms of the way they saw football, the way that they were used to winning, um, to play a more expansive style. Whereas this is a group of players who despite how they've won in the past, really want to play this style. You know, you've got a centre-back like David Luiz, you've got a carefree winger like Hazard, you've got technically-minded midfielders. These guys these guys are invested in making this Sarri ball work in a way that I think maybe the Lampard, Terry Drogba core weren't going to be as invested in AVB Scolari because they they were more in love with another way of winning, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm. Well, no, it, it makes it makes total it makes total sense, and I and I think it's difficult. I think for a lot of supporters who, um, you know, who've grown up with that, and I'll, I'll include myself in that, and I'm sure you know Tony and everybody else too. But you know, it, it was it's so deeply ingrained that way of winning. You know, and of course we were the antithesis to Arsenal in many respects. And people don't like change, and people don't like uncertainty. So in a sense, I can understand you know, that reaction too. And, you know, again, you know, he's... I'll say one thing for Sarri. One of the things that I've been most impressed about with him, and I think this is a sign of his 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 wisdom and uh, age and maturity in a sense, he has been absolutely consistent the entire season through. He has not one minute got overexcited by his start to Chelsea and all the 18 match unbeaten stuff. He's always said... You know, it's going to take time to bed in. It's going to take, you know, six months or more. The players need to adapt to my football. And the criticism that he's had week in, week out, whether they've won or not, uh, it's been the players need to press with more intensity and they need to pass more quickly. So um, I think I think Sarri kind of gets where it is. And, I, and I'm kind of inclined to, to Jonathan's view as well, which is, you know... Let's not panic yet. You know, he need he needs to be given some time. If this is the way that we want to go, then that's the way we're going to go. You know, we can't but can't keep uh, every it's kind not of sign that, of you know panic. Just kind of leap back to playing it's like not, Mourinho. It's did. not us that gives him. It's not us that go gives on, the time, is it? And let's be fair. The owner has not shown that kind of patience with anybody before. Anybody. Well, it might be it might be different. True enough, time, but I mean, time will tell, won't it? You think yeah, so, J.K.? It might be different um, because he, he he seems to like the football very much. Uh, this may be something that the board are very happy with, maybe something that they're willing to give more time to. But also, let's see how it pans out. It was the um, it's not a if it becomes a, an annus horribilis um, as it was under Mourinho, well, oh. then that might be something to to worry about. But. Uh, 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 I, I just think we, we, we're slightly lurching into despair just after one defeat. Uh, and, and it was to Spurs and it was thorough. And I know it's easy to think, well, that's the end of it. We've been sussed. We've been found out. But I I, I think it's too early. But yeah. Jonathan, 
Jonathan, I, I, th I think, you know, I actually think that the reason why there's been such a humongous meltdown and such a huge reaction to this is actually because it was a loss to Spurs. I think if it had been anybody else, people would have taken it on the chin and gone, oh, well, you know, we kind of thought it was coming. We had to lose eventually. Let's pick ourselves up and go forward. But because it was Spurs, it has such an emotional uh, attachment to, 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 to losing to them, something that we are just not used to doing, and it hurts like hell. And I think that's why there's been such an, a, a reaction well, to Well, I don't know. Think? I think if we'd lost to, uh, you know, if we lose to Fulham, people would have thought, what on earth is going on? You know, go, what, what this team should be steamrolling sides like that. So, uh, so um, in a sense, it should be, well, it's a top six side. Um, we should have been more up to it. I suppose it's uh, the fact that it is a top six side that makes us think, well, perhaps we're we're just not able to compete at this level. And uh, I think the other fear is we then won't qualify for the Champions League. Um, but, uh, yeah. Bit of reality yeah, coming in, yeah? yeah? Maybe that, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you all with this, actually, because, I mean, I thought this at the time, and uh, then, of course, it's subsequently been picked up by everybody. I should remember to say... You see, the thing is, I avoid Twitter, you know, on days <laughs> like yesterday. Wise move. Saturday night. I just, I do. I don't, I, I don't say I avoid it. I read everything that's happening, but I do not contribute to it at all. I just, you know, sit on my hands and just watch it. Um, but I'm going to have to stop doing that because I find that a lot of my thoughts, which I came up with first, and other people who are also clearly very clever come up with the same stuff. But there you go. But I mean, the question really is, does it have a, a, a whiff of Scolari, who, of course, was another kind of fatherly, you know, a bit unkempt and jovial figure, uh, and this is what I dug out on Wikipedia about Scolari, just in case those of us uh, who were around at the time have forgotten. And uh, this is what it says. He says, His Chelsea reign began brightly, opening with a 4-0 victory over Portsmouth, and the team topped the table early in the season. They also registered a 5-0 win away to Middlesbrough, Chelsea's biggest away win since 2003. He suffered his first loss of the season against Liverpool, ending the club's record-breaking 86-match unbeaten run oh, at Stamford yes. Bridge. Two weeks later, Chelsea were knocked out of the Carling Cup by Burnley. <laughs> The winter period saw the club register only four wins in 12 league games, a run which included further losses against Arsenal, Man United and Liverpool again. He was sacked on the 9th of February following a 0-0 home draw against Hull City, with Chelsea lying fourth in the Premier League. Fourth in the Premier League. A club statement attributed his dis dismissal to performance and results deteriorating at a key time in the season. Have we seen this all before, Liam? Well, I, I, as I was saying, I, I do think the context of the squad is different. I think the profile of the squad is very different. You know, Scolari and later Villas-Boas were, were dealing with a very entrenched set of ideas, um, shared values from a very experienced group of players who'd won together. And I know that this this current Chelsea core has, has won two league titles in the in the last four years, playing... I guess you'd broad, broadly call it maybe a, a kind of more reactive, pragmatic style of football. But in terms of the actual profile of player, you know, you don't, you've got a lot more flair, you've got a lot more technique, you've got the the natural profile of, of this squad lends itself to to Sarri's style a little bit more. And I think they are broadly quite a laid back group of players and that occasionally works against them, in, particularly in, in games like on, on Saturday. I think eventually they, re, they resented being um, subject to the constant intensity and negativity of Mourinho and then the, the intensity of Conte. So I think Sarri's promise of fun and his style of football has been a bit of a, a 
breath of fresh air up to this point. Now, what will make or break this, I think, is whether their confidence in the system is shaken by setbacks on the pitch. If if they get, you know, if they don't beat Fulham at the weekend, uh, which I, is, I think it's a much more interesting game now than it was even a week ago. Um, and, you know, there are 10 games now in all competitions in 32 days between now and New Year's Day. If if they go on a bad run, then, you know, the, the doubts maybe start to set in and there is no room for doubt in Sarri's system because when you're pressing high up the pitch, it requires you to be playing with, with confidence and even an arrogance. You know, you, you need those, you need what Sarri calls the distances between the lines and it, and if you lose those, like they did for 15 minutes against Arsenal earlier in the season, like they did from the start against Spurs, then the whole thing the whole thing collapses like a house of cards and it looks a total mess. So the, the only thing that matters really is whether the players maintain the faith in the system. But so far, there's nothing I've seen or heard to suggest that they aren't fully bought in. Mm. Okay, well, um, I mean, the only thing I would add to that, and something actually that, again, to our credit, I think we've been saying for quite a few weeks, is that the real test will come when we when we do eventually lose, and then that and the reaction to that defeat is uh, is where Sarri's going to earn his money. And uh, I think you know, basically, uh, all of us sitting here, we ask the right questions, but I think we've all got faith in the guy. And you know, like Jonathan was saying, give him some time. Now, uh, we've got to move on, sadly. Uh, but uh, in the next part, we've got—I mean, Jonathan—I I hope you're prepared for this, mate. I mean, the, the A, we have so many emails this week, and B, one of them is an essay. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match... And they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month. And you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Oh, cool. Real 
Arsenal fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. It's your Uncle Stamford Chidge here. Uh, we're already in part three of the Chelsea Fancast. That blooming well went by quickly. Now, uh, as always, a little uh, reminder about the website, chelseafancast.com. Please check it out. It's lovely. Uh, and also, um, you know, I've got some wonderful people in, as always. We've got the lovely Liam Toomey and uh, Tony Glover. And, of course, his eminence, uh, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Now, we have got... I mean, I mean, there are so many emails. We're going to do the best we can, folks, all right, with these. If I'm going to time limit it. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Any, any we don't read out this week, we will put in next week, I promise you. Okay, so Jonathan, take this it from away. Jay Weston. Hello, crazy gang. That's us. Oh, dear, what a limp performance. I think Sarri learnt more about the Premier League and his squad in the first 20 minutes versus Spurs than he has so far. Lessons learnt. David Luiz is still a loose cannon and can have terrible non-committal and weak performances. Number two, Jorginho can't compete in games where it's fast, frantic and intense. Three, Morata is a busted flush, doesn't win the ball on the air, in the air anymore, can't read offside and never looks like beating a player. Four, Kante is lost in that right midfield role. Solutions, Christensen needs a chance to play more. Loftus-Cheek needs game time, especially in these type of games. Barkley should have started. Kante should be in his natural position. Giroud should start until we get a better forward. It was dire and a saddening performance, but it woke us up to the fact that we aren't that good yet and our unbeaten status hid that fact. Some of the draws versus West Ham and Everton, etc., highlighted the fact that we aren't the finished product. The rest of the season will and should be about developing more than one formation and adapting to the opposition, rather than just believing we're better than all the other teams. Cheers, Jay Weston. Am I allowed to comment on it, Chid, or should we just um, keep going? Of course. No, no, comment um, away. None of his solutions uh, fit the way that Sarri plays, unfortunately. Um, I don't think Christensen is his type of player. That's why he cho chooses Louise. Um, Loftus Cheek would probably fit instead of Barkley, but I'm not convinced he's uh, well versed enough in uh, in Sarismo. Um, Kovacic should work better with Hazard and was off his game, and we can't put Kante back in the natural position as we've stated. And it's already the thing about Jorginho can compete in games where it's fast, frantic, and intense. Everybody else has to be as um, uh, fast and furious and, as an intense uh, but I agree that Giroud should start until we get a better forward but uh, but even then as I've said I, I'm not convinced that that's the pattern that he wants to play but yes uh, um, a better forward would um, would be what we would hope for um, that's my view anybody else? Yeah I don't agree on Kovacic I've not seen anything from him that makes me think I'd want to keep him I mean, doing Rabona's when you're 2-0 down. Well, he doesn't was, get it. That was dire. I agree with you, Tony. That was awful. What was going through his head? Mm. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I get 
what's being said there, I think the, we, we have discussed the county thing. I think Barkley, yeah. <laughs> Barkley might have, uh, he, he might have enjoyed um, the game a little bit more um, than, than Kovacic. Jorginho, I mean, you know, I saw him the other week. I thought he was fabulous. I'd, I'd rather just think of it as a, more of a bad day in the office for a few of the players and, you know, maybe a rocket up the arse will help. Let's hope so anyway. Eh? Right. I think the other thing is on, on Jorginho, on Jorginho, who, whose praises we were singing yeah. two weeks ago yeah. and quite yeah. rightly, um, he, he, you know, he, he's looked leggy the last two games and there's a reason for that. He's played nearly every bloody game in a league that, you know, how many times have we said, you know, for a lot of these foreign players, it takes them a year or two to adapt to the pace and power of the English Premier League, you know. And, and this guy's only been in it for two or three months. And, you know, it's hard. And maybe he's finding it a bit difficult. And the physicality of it is maybe making him a bit leggy. So, bottom line, he's just a good player, you know. I, I, I wouldn't, you know, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater like we said. Well, the other, the other thing is that there's... <clears throat> There's a widespread misconception that Kante is is a holding midfielder. He's not a holding midfielder. Since he came to England, he's played as kind of like a a, a roaming destroyer in a midfield two. He did he did that at Leicester and was phenomenal. He did that at Chelsea under Conte when when they won the league. I'm not sure if there is a, a name for what Kante is. I'm not sure if we've seen a, a midfielder like him, but. Conte tried to play him in the position people are saying he should play now when Conte first arrived. He tried to play him in that Makaleli role at the base of a three and it didn't work. He didn't quite know how to do it because he's not really done it before. Um, so aside from the stylistic things about Jorginho Kante, I think the question around Kante with Sarri is not, is he playing in his correct position? Because it's probably quite clear that, he, that he's not really at the moment. The question is, does he have a position in this system at all? Yes. What a depressing thought. All right, Draco. Next you, one. My finish You think that's the correct pronunciation, Chief? Well, you, 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 you kind of disappeared because of the signal. So say you, it again and we'll see. Michael Pinichwa. I reckon that's about right. Hello, Chelsea Fancast. I am Jude Michael Pinichwa from Kampala, UK. I'm delighted to be writing this email about my first Chelsea experience, and I'll get to that a little bit later on. But first, I just want to point out what an incredible job you got, incredible job you guys are doing for a host of Chelsea fans out there. It's a surreal experience just sitting there and listening to people of like passion sharing opinions about something we all love and are passionate about. I look forward to listening to you guys every week. Thank you very much. It's quite funny because I discovered the podcast only recently, as recent as July of this year. It was certainly the same time I also landed on a host of Chelsea podcasts, like the London is Blue podcast and the Chelsea. I have to say, for a fan like me with an unusually insatiable appetite for Chelsea content, discovering this was the stuff of dreams. I think the closest thing I had to a podcast is when I called my brother, also a Chelsea fan, I called my brother, also a Chelsea fan, who is five years my junior, to vent about a poor game or just buzz over an unbelievable performance. Or when I visit my parents' house, usually after a few months away, and just ignore everyone for close to 30 minutes, just arguing with my brother about what is right or wrong about the team and what should be done, what tactics to change, who to sign, and so on. I began supporting Chelsea at the age of 14 in 2003. 
this was a year removed from the 2020, 2002 World Cup, which was really my coming out party, if I can use that analogy. It was so huge. It was the first football event I fully followed on the telly. Until then, football was merely something I played. I didn't really sit down in front of a telly to watch it for long stretches until then. Having been introduced to the Premier League about the same time, I found myself attached to Chelsea because of its underdog status as compared to Man U or Arsenal, which every Tom, Dick and Harry was fussing about. Yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to avoid the bandwagon, which is quite ironic, because 2003 coincided with the Abramovich takeover, which brought with it a host of bandwagon. But hey, we're all Chelsea fans, no matter the reason we support it. The time we start su started supporting or the geographical location in the world. This brings me to one issue of contention which Chidge and the boys always dispute on. The issue of clubs prioritising international fans or tourists over local fans. I understand your reasoning that it affects the stadium atmosphere and raises ticket prices to levels above which ordinary schoolboys or young adults can afford. The truth is, if I were English, I would probably be on your side of that argument. However, with the globalisation of the game and the need for clubs to break into new markets, Asia, America and Africa, and take advantage of every commercial opportunity to extend the brand to close the gap on Manchester and Arsenal, it's inevitable. I certainly will be one of those tourists next year when I plan to come over to watch my first Chelsea match at the bridge. I found out about an opportunity from the boys from the London is Blue podcast have for Chelsea fans all over the world to come over. I was so excited. I wanted to divert my savings to come over this year. But after much pondering, I figured I can wait a little bit longer. I certainly want to meet Alex, the girl who likes balls, Churchill, when I come over. Mm. All I can say is her blogs are sick and are unlike anything out there. I love them, but can't <laughs> recommend them to anyone else because, well, you'll know if you ever read them. <laughs> one, one of the things I want to talk about is our European love affair, one filled with heartbreaking pain and the sweetest joy alike. 2003-04 was my earliest Champion League, Champions League campaign, and I vividly recall the all-important semi-final against Monaco, having scored an away goal in the 3-1 defeat. I was more than confident we could beat them at the bridge. After Gronkia opened, opened the scoring and Lamps doubled, doubled it, it was quite heartbreaking to concede to Ibarra, but worse still to Morientes in the 60th minute, which really knocked the wind out of us. I think we would have won our first European Cup as early as that, had Ranieri not been so reactionary to wait until Monaco got back into the match when we were 2-0 up. I see the same problem with Sarri, who tends to be so reactionary that teams get a chance to get back into the game before we start chasing it again. It has happened against Arsenal, Newcastle, Liverpool, Man United, Bart and Crystal Palace. I hate to say it, but at some point, your luck runs out. His game management is concerning, and on a bad day, we wouldn't be our chest pumping. Of course, the 2004-2005 semi-final was so anticlimactic Climatic because of that goal that never was against L L loser pool. 2005-06, we fell to Barcelona. 2006-07, loser pool beat us again via spot kicks 4-1 with Robin and Jeremy missing. 2007-08 was quite devastating considering we finally reached the final. And I blame Avram Grant for that loss. He was too defensive and gave Manu a lot of respect 
Yet on paper, we had a team that was better head-to-head. With finals, anything can happen. That's why I blame him for his game plan. You could see Man U were there for the taking. I have to say, he either had stage fright or the occasion was so big for him, he thought reaching the final was an achievement in itself. That's the problem with hiring people who are not winners. I could see the poor man was content with his extraordinary season. I hate to say it, but recent comments by Sari saying he couldn't take Napoli any further than what he did were concerning because he seems a content man in the mould of Avram Grant. Yet everyone saw that with a better with better squad management, he could have used more of the squad players for cup games or against lower league teams to preserve the first team momentum for a title push. This was observed by pundits and even the team owner. 2008-09 was, of course, when we confirmed Barca was actually UA Falona with their undercover agent Tom Henning over a bow. Honestly, having denied us three clear penalties, what Ballack did and Drogba said were nothing compared to what I would have done to that. Alex can help me with the appropriate word. 2009-10 was forgettable. 2010-11, Ancelotti choked. 2011-12 was unlike any other season. The sight of AVB benching Super Frank, JT and Big Drog in back-to-back matches supposedly to manage their old age, damaged any little sympathy for him, given the alarming rate he was churning out poor results. I don't know who gave him the idea of phasing out our beloved old guard and attacking Torres' poor form on Portuguese radio. If ever any manager was in over his head, it was poor AVB, even considering the tinkering of Scolari at its worst. I don't know what was more embarrassing, his high defensive line or his attempt of being the second coming of Mourinho. Anyways, in comes Di Matteo, and the rest is history. Chelsea 4, Napoli 1 will probably go down for me as the second greatest match in Chelsea history. Considering the stakes going into the match, the never-say-die attitude, the sheer determination to go through a wall, and the collective effort put in by the boys, supposedly the old guard whom AVB wanted nothing to do with. I have to ask Chidge and the boys to rank that night stroke atmosphere at Stamford Bridge against other European nights. Barcelona 2-2 was, I have no words, Ramirez. This guy deserves a plaque at the bridge. Has anyone ever scored a non-final goal which gave us a lifeline when we were so terrible, overrun and scrapping for anything that would come our way? And again, Chidge and the boys should rank that goal by importance against other non-final goals. Bayern, 1905-2012. In their stadium, their backyard, in front of their fans, their city, their country, against all odds and with four of our starters suspended, JT, Rami, Merilis and Ivanovic. What can I say? They score in the 83rd minute with the most bizarre goal, a bounce over a six-foot, six-foot-five check at his near post. I'm stunned thinking, not this time. We've come a long way. Please don't end like this. Then, Drogba! If ever there was a name for a big goal by a game player who always scored in biggest of games, they ought to name big goals in big games after Drogba. Sort of like the Penenka. Imagine a commentator saying, That's a Drogba! What a goal! Out of nowhere! But you knew it, and you just couldn't count them out.
considering all the pain and heartbreak over the years, the level of satisfaction that match gave me, I felt all the pain prior to, prior to this was worth it. And I would take it again in hindsight to enjoy a night like that again. What was incredible about all this is that it all unfolded on my birthday. I hadn't gotten any gift from anyone, which is no problem. I'm a, I'm a man. I celebrate. I'm a man. I celebrate accomplishments, not birthdays. This particular one, though, was both a gift and an accomplishment wrapped in one package. It all just seems like yesterday. 1905-2012 will always be graved on my heart. Question. How do you rank the devastating double wing of Robin and Duff as a combination against our other combinations in the last 15 years of Chelsea? Pace, dribbling, creativity, efficiency, final ball, goals. Who was the bigger flop at Chelsea? AVB or Scolari? Hmm. Thank you, Michael. That's the end. Wow. wow. I've, just got, I've just got one thing to say mm. to that. <laughs> yes, go on. I've got one thing yeah. to say to that. Hey, Jude, <laughs> don't make it Very bad. Good. Take a short email <laughs> and make it longer. That yeah. is incredible. Incredible. Wow. It's like a bloody essay. Jude, you should congratulate yourself and then have a long lie down. So who wants first dibs at those two questions? Jonathan? Um, uh, best. Oh, well, Robert yeah. Robert yeah. Duff, the best. The best. We've, we've, we've never matched it since. No, I don't never. think, and the fact that Robin and Duff would constantly swap wings during the game, almost unprompted, you'd find the bloke who was on the right was now on the left or whatever, and it used to create havoc with defenders. And I don't think we've ever got close to that that kind of ability. We how why have we ever sold Robin, uh, whose career yeah. went become even more stellar i have no idea they were a fabulous pairing and, and massively fond memories of, of seeing those two caused absolute havoc everywhere um against people fantastic pairing robin had a reputation at the time for, for falling over didn't he and um and getting injured and so kenyon thought it was a good bit of business to sell him for 12 yeah. million um, Bad that, bit of business. That, that's what happened and then his dad worked at his his, at his fitness with him uh and uh and then he obviously played wonderfully for Real Madrid, and then yeah. went to Bayern. Well, I think phenomenal player. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I think uh, Mourinho got frustrated with Robin because he traditionally gets frustrated with players who are injured a lot. But can you can you ima- can you imagine if Chelsea had managed to have Robin and Hazard at the same time? Oh God! Oh. It would have been absolutely oh, devastating. I think that's entirely yeah. unfair of you, uh, Liam, to come out <laughs> with, such a, with such a scenario now because I'm just going to be walking down for the rest of the evening going, shit, why didn't they play? <laughs> uh. um, that's brilliant. I mean, I can't, I can't disagree with any. I think, I think Robin and Duff together were the best two wingers we've had in the modern, you know, as in post-2000, yeah. certainly. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, you know, Pat Nevin and Charlie Cook never played together, mm-hmm. did they? So... But my God, if they had, yeah, that would have been something. Um, but I think, yeah, maybe as a pair playing at the same time, it's hard to argue that they're pr- probably the best. And I think the stats probably back that up. My only regret is that they yes. weren't there long enough, as the boys were saying. Um, turning to Jude's, turning to Jude's uh, other thing, who was the bigger flop at Chelsea, AVB or Scolari? That's a good question. I mean, I, I mean I'm inclined to say AVB, actually. I think Scolari, um, personally. Um, you know, and I don't know, why, I don't know yeah. why, really. I mean... 
I just thought he was such a yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> with his, with his was a bad move in the first place. You know, it was it was a that was a real vanity appointment, wasn't it? Always oh, won a World Cup, but we must be good then. <laughs> no, no. He was there for the well, money. There was wasn't that, he, but I mean, basically. I think wasn't there. There was it, you know, he had his fallings out with the players as well because basically, um, you know, they 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 lost such a dramatic amount of fitness because his sessions were nothing like they were used to. And I, I you know, to me. It was a, it, it was, it was a vanity thing. It was, you know, it, it was someone looking over, a man-child looking over and going, "Well, he's won a World Cup. He must be brilliant." And that's not always the case. And we know the international game and the, uh, the, 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 the kind of um, the league game. You know, uh, never the twain shall meet. Really, in terms of managerial ability, I think they're two separate things. Which is why Southgate's doing so well for England, I think, because he's he gets that, he understands that. I think, uh, I think Villa's. Of course, the counter to that, the counter. Sorry, hang on, Liam. The counter to that, of course, is AV. What's AVB done since? You know, not nothing spectacular. No, I was just going to say. Liam, I on. think Villas Boas was a, a a pretty talented technical coach. He just couldn't. He had absolutely no people skills. Yeah, couldn't manage human relationships. Whereas, I just don't think Scolari was a very good coach. <laughs> so, it's a, so it's a, we've got a real race to the bottom going on there, haven't we? <laughs> well, I'd. I just if you Love look it. at Liam, if you look at Scolari's record, I don't think he's he, he's particularly good. He won a World Cup with an incredibly talented yeah, Brazilian cool. group of players, and that that's about it, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Right, chaps. We're going to have a quick break. When we come back, uh, first of all, we're going to announce the or draw the winner of the Where Were You When We Were Shocking competition for a, a, a signed copy of Neil Smith's wonderful, wonderful book. And uh, then uh, we'll carry on with a few emails and get as far as we can. But we'll see you in a sec. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. It's uh, Stanford Church and uh, Jonathan Kidd and Liam Toomey and Tony Glover for this night's uh, Chelsea Fancast. Now, this is kind of... I, I'm going to have to explain the rules for this, but a few weeks ago, as you know, um, I did a wonderful interview with, with Neil Smith, who's absolutely one of my favourite, favourite people uh, that I know at Chelsea. And he's written a brilliant book uh, called uh, Where Were You When You Were Shocking? The A to Z of Chelsea. And... Uh, it was so much fun talking to Neil that I ran a whole hour of an interview on the show. Thankfully, it kind of coincided with the international break, which helped. Um, but anyway, Neil very kindly has bunged me a copy of his book, and uh, I've gotten to sign it, of course. And uh, we put it out as a competition. And the uh, the uh, <coughs> excuse me the um, the question was uh, in Neil's first match uh, when he went first went to Chelsea, uh, they beat West Ham six two. It was in 1966. And I asked you who the scorers were. Who knows the answer to that question? Jonathan? Um, sorry, what was the question again, Chidge? <laughs> who scored for Chelsea when they beat West Ham 6-2 oh, in 1966? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He got two, yeah. I think. Um, Bridges... Keep going. Bert Murray. 
Yep, I'm going. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not going to go. Eh, eh. I'm going to wait, wait, wait till you wait until I found the answer because I can't remember. <laughs> I'm just. I have no clue. Actually, I'm just presuming um, these were players around. All right. The, I, I can't bear it anymore. All right. The answer. The answer was. I mean, Jonathan would have been there. This is the frightening thing. George Graham scored oh, two. Right. Then Ron Lord. Harris. Then then Terry Venable scored a penalty, and then Bobby Tambling scored two. Uh, now that's uh, one of the correct answers. I'm going to check this just to make sure that he wasn't lying, and I've got this verified by the fact that it's Ron Harris, Terry Venable scored two, to- uh, Bobby Tambling uh, scored two, and well, Bobby Tambling scored, and George Graham scored two. No, I got that all the wrong way around. One scored by Ron Harris, one by Terry Venables, two for Bobby Tambling, and two for George Graham. So there you go. There, that is the right answer. Now, what I have done, right, I've written down the correct uh, uh, respondents, the people who got the answers right, and they were, um, they were, in no particular order, James Copper, lovely James, who we've known for years and years and years and years, an absolutely splendid bloke, uh, and Rolf Croner. Bonnie Rig Blues and John Chiverton. And I know John's in the uh, in the Mixler room tonight. Not that this will have any bearing on the result, John. Because what I've done, I've written their names on a post-it pad, right, and then folded them all up and then left it for ages so I can't remember whose was who. And I've written numbers one to four on the, on the post-it pads that have all been folded up. So I'm going to ask who wants to volunteer to choose any number between one and four, which will then be the winner. I'll do it. There you go. The bra- a brave man, Jonathan, because the opprobrium from the other three who don't win will all be on you. So I commend your bravery. You're a decent chap, mate. I would have I would have loved to have been in the trenches with you. I would have gone over the top with you, mate. You're a brave man. So, far away, Jonathan. What's it going to be? One, two, three, or four? Three. Three it is. Okay. And the winner is... Yeah, as John, John Shiverton's in there and he says, it's all on you, mate. Steve says it needs to be on video, Chidge, so it can be very. very I, I, Steve, have you so little faith in my integrity that you don't? That you think I might cheat? I am absolutely not cheating. Right, number three. I, so you can hear me opening this probably because I've stuck them down, so I, I need to be careful how I open them. Right, the winner is James Coppert. So there we go. Well done, James. Fantastic. I'm very sorry for the others. Um. But there you go. I've done it the fairest way I can. Steve's laughing at what I said, hopefully. Uh, but well done. Thanks for entering. And I'm very sorry for John and Bonnie Rig Blues. It's not fixed, John. It was all completely legal and verified. And uh, also to Rolf. But well done to James Copper. Now, I will say at this juncture that um, hopefully fairly soon, I'm going to run a few more competitions because uh, if anybody's seen the Kerry Dixon banner that we've got up in the Matthew Harding end, uh, the lovely boys in Chelsea, Chicago, who did the banner for us, have printed out and got a whole load of mini banners, kind of scarf size. All right, and I'm going to get Kerry to sign a few, and I'm going to put them up as competitions, prizes in the near and imminent future. So there we go. So how does that sound, boys? Well done, Jonathan, for doing that. Uh, now, what I suggest, J.K., is we go back to email three, okay, and yeah. then we take it as far as we can, and then that'll be it. So maybe about ten minutes, yeah. Okay. This is from Daniel Barca. Hey, buddy, how are things? Barca. Of course, sorry, yeah, Barca. So I'm thinking Barcelona, which is fair enough, really. Daniel Barca. Hey, buddy, how are things? I just wanted to personally thank 
thank you for bringing Neil Barnett on last week's Love Sports show. It was an incredible listen that gave us all fantastic insight on the club and all yours and especially Neil's thoughts. I could have listened for hours more. If there's ever an opportunity again to invite him back or even on the Fancast pod, it would be fucking amazing. Hope you're well, Chidge, and thanks again for your incredible effort. It was a great show. He was great. He was great. But as he said to me at the end, it's what I do. So, um, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, good luck to him. But he was, he, yeah, he, he was uh, phenomenal. He, but he, it he, makes sense because he just—he's yeah. been associated with the club for for so bloody long, from onside and the Bridge Magazine and uh, um, reporting at the uh, Chelsea TV and reporting at the being the training ground um, reporter. I mean. You know, he, he knows. He knows everything there is that's been going on. But some great stories, great stories. But he wouldn't he didn't quite know about the um, uh, the Conte situation. Uh, he wouldn't answer that one when I said, um, what, what, what did you hear about Conte at the beginning of the season when he didn't get the players that he wanted in the transfer window? That was the one moment when he he diverted it like a good politician. Actually, he was quite clever. He was clever with that. But uh, no, uh, he's a he's a great listen, and uh, we we should try and get him get him on again because he was terrific. Well, I, I suspect we 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 might well be able to get him back on uh, for yeah. Love Sport. Uh, it will be much harder to get him on to this because basically, you know, uh, the the boys that are on with me and and girl occasionally, you have no idea how wonderfully dedicated they are in having to sit by their computer on a dodgy Skype connection for two hours. It's honestly, you need to give them a, a lot of love for that. And I, I do too. And I'm very mindful of that. Um, on that point, Jonathan, Dean Mears said, he, he said he loved that show. He's never heard Jonathan so quiet. <laughs> no, but can we be fair here? I did ask a lot of questions. <laughs> I, I was actually being, I, know, I, was, being, I was being sensitive <laughs> To the occasion and and bowing down and ceding to the fact that he knows everything there is to know Chelsea and Chid, as we know, I make it up. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant mate i've got to say actually jk you were you were you were brilliant that night i mean we were we both were we were we we gave neil the due respect that he deserves and we both shut up which is very unlike both of us so so there you go <laughs> dean's come back and he said you were being the perfect host jk and i think that's absolutely spot on right next email mate this is from claire mcconnell love the discussion about whether you support english teams in europe I do support City because their football is from another planet, so it doesn't matter to me if they win. But the rest of the teams, I want to see them smash to smithereens and implode every game. Intellectually, I know we don't want other English teams to end up in the Europa League with us, but I can never watch them and hope they win. It was the same with the Manchester derby on the weekend. I tried to talk myself into cheering for United as I knew a win for them would help us. But in the end, I just couldn't do it. My husband grew up in Canada and cannot understand not supporting an English team in Europe because in Canada, we always support any Canadian team playing a team from the US. We hate the US. Because I'm English and didn't leave until I was 25, tribalism is in my bones. Stead husband is also puzzled by the fan segregation at grounds and the away ticket allocation. Over here, everyone sits with each other and anyone can get tickets for a game from the club. Yeah, well, that's why it's never 
I, I maintain there is there is no sport like football. You know, it divides people for ninety minutes or whatever. We might go and see them other fans in the pub afterwards. I've got you know fans who are mates who are Spurs fans, Arsenal fans, Liverpool fans. Um, that's the beauty of it. But for ninety minutes, I utterly hate them. Um, and uh, I, I said it before. I think I, I'm 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 actually looking at that and thinking. Um, I'm like you, JK. There's a little bit of me that doesn't give a toss about if we lose. I don't watch Match of the Day because I couldn't care less what anybody else has done. And I thought that was just me. I thought it was just me being sulky, but it isn't. I genuinely couldn't give a monkey's. Tony, um, it's, me being, it's me being nine. Yes, and, and, and me too. I just think, did we lose? Yeah, well, I'm not going to put myself through that again, thanks. But I did actually Sunday morning, but um, uh, Saturday night, I was, no, I've got other things I want to be getting on with. I don't care what other teams have done. And I think that's the kind of try. You know, uh, I will just, it's very quickly, I was in a pub in Covent Garden when England were playing the All Blacks the other week. And it was a mixed crowd in there. Everybody sort of like, you know, cheering or whatever. And I think there was a try at the end that England, it was disallowed for England. And it was, and people just went, oh, like that. I thought, Christ almighty, if that had been a, a last minute goal disallowed, there'd have been a riot in there. Do you know what I mean? It was just, it, the two the two games and every other sport was so different. I think it's a peculiarly English thing um, that we see that. And, and at least I think we're not quite, you know, we are not at the Boca Juniors River Plate rubbish anymore, um, which I think should be expunged from the game forever. That sort of rubbish really is just, you know, if anything drags the game into disrepute is seeing that and then people going, well, they're just casuals or ultras. I don't care. Get rid of it. Ban both clubs. But, you know, that's the side of football I don't want to see. But tribalism, yeah, good. Like it. Love it. OK, JK, um, what I suggest we do now, because the others are all rather long, is we whiz forward to Aubrey's uh, email, which is email six. Yeah. Ooh. Because the others are all bloody yeah. long, all right? We can save oh, yeah. those for next week. So let's do Aubrey. And if we get time, do Bud Zola. But Aubrey first. Aubrey Robot. I think... Uh, Aubrey Robards, any relation of Jason Robards? Uh, you see, we're giving away our age there by remembering him, aren't we, JK? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but you know what? Aubrey, Aubrey, uh, who's married to Matt, the pastor, who came over with London is Blue Boys last, uh, last win- whenever they came over, April, I think. Uh, and we, I sat and drank with them in the uh, Atlas for hours. You met them. It's when we did yes. that podcast with them. That's when I asked before that. I've asked that question before, actually. Yes, I'm being, you know, my brain cells, they're disappearing so quickly. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> hey, guys. So this email, Pidge, have I got older? Oh, God. Uh, anyway, hang on. So, uh, hey, guys. So this email seemed more appropriate during an international break when we have no match to review. But... I didn't send it out before last week's show because I have these three tiny humans that keep following me around demanding <laughs> food. And- <laughs> that aside, let's chat about leadership issues at Chelsea and how Drogba trolled everyone recently. Now, Matt, my husband, and I love going to Phoenix Rising games. It's a very talented team and an amazing atmosphere. We have season tickets for next year that are all the more exciting now that Drogba's playing again. Watching Drogba captain a team that essentially started over about three years ago has been incredible. I was reminded of this when you guys discussed the lack of a Terry-like leader. And again, when you discussed if Terry would make a good manager. As a great leader on the pitch, doesn't always guarantee there'll be a great manager on the sideline. 
Drogba, while not a coach for now, but a co-owner, was on the sideline from time to time this past season, not wearing a kit. One of those times, we watched him get sent off the field by the official because Drogba was pissed at his poor refereeing and was not hiding it well. This is the same guy that, as captain, takes teammates aside to keep them from getting into trouble for mouthing off. It's funny to see those two sides of him within weeks of each other. That's what we're missing on Chelsea, though, isn't it? A captain that will go to someone like Morata and say, hey, get over it. Show them you're better by putting it in the back of the net. I don't think we have anyone with that slightly aggressive side just now. What are your thoughts? Is there room for those younger leaders you've mentioned in the past to be uplifting as a captain, but also more assertive in demanding greatness from those around him in the way Terry balanced it so well? Love the show and hope all is well. If any of you make it to Phoenix any time next year, let us know and we can take you to a Phoenix Rising game and get you some proper Mexican food. Oh, that sounds tempting, doesn't it? Great mail, oh. great mail, very tempting. I'd love, right. I'd love to actually say yes. I'm going to Phoenix purely to go and see you and uh, and uh, have some Mexican food, watch a game of football, and then I'll come back home. I'd love to be able to say that. Mm. Wouldn't we all, JK? Wouldn't we? Can't possibly yeah. do that. Mm. I, I, I'm, so, I'm well up for that. I, I tell you what, if we went to Phoenix, we could have a party because that's where Chris Bird yeah. comes from as yeah. well. The wonderful Chris so Bird. To, uh, to, uh, mm. yeah. A couple of comments on that. Number first one, uh, leaders. Yeah, I, 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 I still think I still maintain Hazard would have been a good, good captain. I think he showed in the World Cup that he has that, uh, that ability. I think it would have also been just another little lever to keep him. Um, Drogba, why we should have a bloody statue of him outside that ground. Um, I've seen Osgood, I've seen, um, strikers, and I still think there is nothing. There is no one. Um, like like Drogba, I think he's an absolutely magnificent role model on and off the pitch, um, and I I I I just think there should be more done. Uh, he's a fabulous bloke. Uh, I just I think he's fantastic. One of the possibly in terms of you know people go yeah Jimmy Greaves scored more goals and such as it yes, but Drogba won everything absolutely everything. And if you're judging people by their ability to win big games. The bloke is peerless. There isn't another player I can remember in the Premier League with that impact on one team. There you go. A bit of love for Drogba there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, basically, uh, you know, I think they broke the mould with John Terry. I think the modern game just won't produce leaders of that ilk anymore. I mean, I could be wrong. hope I am. But I somehow just don't see it. Liam, do you want to say anything on that? Well, I think that I wouldn't rule out um, us seeing some some natural leaders come come through again, but I think the key word there is natural. I don't think the system is designed to form those qualities in individuals. So I think you, you'll you'll probably see a few young players here and there who you know just innately have those qualities in in years to come. But I don't think if if they don't have those qualities, you know, by the time they get to fourteen, fifteen, they're they're not going to develop them because. The academy system, as it as it is currently constituted, it just isn't set up to do that, really. Mm. Okie doke, right, folks. That's uh, I think that's about as far as we can get with emails. So apologies to Brandon Nelson from Kansas, Bud Zola, I think he's from England, and uh, Mark Hannington from New Zealand. Uh, I promise faithfully that you will be top of the list next week, as always. As always, we absolutely 
love getting emails from you as you can tell it's just the joy that we have doing this show hearing from people all over the world who share our passion in chelsea so uh you know please keep sending them in it's what we like and uh it's easy to do just email chelseafancast at gmail.com and try and do it before mondays then you can you know make sure you make the cut for that night's uh, podcast right uh very very quickly usual nonsense at the end of the show uh of course cfc uk nothing nonsense nonsensical about cfc uk cfc uk is the nuts mate uh, and there's a new one coming out soon because i've got to do my article before friday which tells me that it'll be out probably uh, the week after that now if you want to get uh, get cfc uk it's very simple so to do you just have to go to the stall on a match day or from any of the sellers uh at the at home or away and you can of course subscribe uh, if you can't get it in person, and you can do it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net. If you're in the USA, you can follow the Twitter account at cfcukusa, and uh, you can actually just contact Dan Lundberg on Twitter at dlundberg underscore, and he will sort you out. Uh, a very quick shout-out for Patreon. Uh, we have one of our wonderful patrons, which is the lovely Claire McConnell, whose email we read out um, about uh, Europe. Uh, you know, what, what do we think about that? Uh, Claire is a patron. A patron! of patreon and uh, i love her for doing that and i really really appreciate it as i do everybody who uh, who is subscribed to patreon i'm still racking my brains for uh, getting you some kind of you know uh, premium content i think is what they like to call it but uh, do, do bung me ideas make sure you get in touch with me on patreon it's very easy to do that i also i get notifications on my phone because i've got the app on my phone so i will try and respond to you as quickly as possible send in anything you want content for the show things you want discussed emails you know just post a message and we'll read it out so there are benefits from doing that uh, very easy to do you can donate as however little or much as you want it's a monthly payment uh you can do it kind of like a dollar a show so maybe four or five dollars but really it's entirely up to you we're just very grateful for that you do at all and it's easy to do go to patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast so there you go uh right chelsea supporters trust um many of you i hope will have received your new newsletter uh, this week uh, sadly timed uh, just before uh, the uh, debacle against Spurs on Saturday. So my positivity about Maurizio Sarri uh, must have gone down like a uh, a lead balloon. But there you go. Timing is everything. Uh, but anyway, if you want to join the trust, it's easy. Get your voice heard by the club. Free to join up to be a member. If you want a nice shiny badge and if you want to be able to vote and attend the meetings, then you have to pay five quid a year. Not much, really. Uh, and you can sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com and uh, you can follow them, of course, on Twitter at Chelsea S Trust. And finally, the good old CPO. Uh, where would we be without the CPO? If you want to own a little bit of Chelsea and protect the future of the club, go and buy a share in the Chelsea pitch owners who own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that Chelsea Football Club will remain playing football at Stamford Bridge forever. And to find out how to buy a share, you email info at chelseapitchowners.com uh, and check out uh, chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash Chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners and follow them on Twitter at pitch owners. Now, my dear, dear listener, uh, I'm afraid that is all we've got time for tonight on what has been a thoroughly enjoyable show. Tricky one to do. Never very nice having to report back on losing to Spurs, obviously, but I think we've handled it like the men that we are. So well done to everybody on the show. Uh, Now, we'll be back next Monday to report back on uh, Chelsea versus Pauk. And, of course, Chelsea versus Fulham on uh, Sunday. The first time, I, I, I mean, I've got to share this with you. Since we had that flaming banner, the Kerry Dixon banner, I've not actually sat in my flaming seat for a game. 
So on Sand Sunday, it will be the first time I will sit in my seat and just drool over the wonderfulness that is the Chelsea fancast Kerry Dixon banner. Because, of course, on, on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, I'll be sitting with Dan in the West Lower because Dan always sorts me out for my uh, cup tickets because I always forget to order them. So there you go. Now, before all of that, of course, we'll have the Kerry Dixon show of me and Kerry if I can track the great man down. And we'll be, no doubt, picking up from where we've left off here, also previewing, pre- previewing even the Chelsea uh, versus Fulham match. And that'll be Thursday. And then on Friday, do not forget to tune in to the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio between 7 o'clock and 9pm with me, Jonathan, Alex Churchill and the Man United regurgitating nonsense that is Aaron Paul, where, of course, we will be talking all things Chelsea and looking ahead to the Fulham match on Sunday, of course. Now, best thing of all, as you well know by now, but I, I, you know, you need to get your fingers out and do this, because otherwise we get bored stupid, particularly when Aaron's talking about Man United. So phone in, join in the show, debate with us live. The number to call is 0208 70 20 558. And, of course, you can listen to Love Sport on 558 AM or the digital radio channels. Or, of course, you can just listen to it on Radio Player or tune in, or even lovesportradio.com. It's really easy, and uh, we have fun doing it. So uh, give us a listen. Phone us up, for God's sake. Phone us up. Very simple. Now, uh, that show, like all of our shows, is available as a podcast shortly afterwards on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, and very other, well, a lot of other good podcast distributors besides. So there you go. Now, you can follow the show, as I've often said, uh, at ChelseaFanCast on Twitter, me at Stanford Chidge, at Jonathan Kidd, um, at GrocerJackUK, and at Liam underscore Toomey. Liam will now tell me that I've got his Twitter handle wrong, so I've got to write no, it down. That's right, Liam. <laughs> yeah, see, grief. I do yeah. have a memory after all. That's I, I often wonder. Fireworks, isn't it? Yeah, I often wonder whether it's going <laughs> in my old age. It has a bit. No, I'm just really chuffed that my memory's not going and dementia has not, you know, taken me yet. But there you go. So yeah, do follow us all. Uh, you know, we like a follow, and the more people that follow us, the more people we can uh, engage with or block, depending on what you say. Uh, anyway, uh, don't forget, as I said, to check out the ChelseaFanCast.com website, and of course, as always, thanks to Leon or Hion, as we should say. And all the Chelsea fancast bloggers for their wonderful content, including Dean Mears, CFC UK in Mixler right now, who apparently has written the best article on the Jorginho and Kante debate ever written. And that will be up very shortly, uh, if not sooner. So there you go. Right. Enough. Uh, Jonathan, as always, an uber pleasure, as always, having you in the house and, uh, you know, assisting me as, as wonderfully as you do. And I and, and reading your fantastic emails. And I will see Look you Look forward Friday. to it, Chidge. Very, very enjoyable show, even though it's been such a dismal subject. <sighs> indeed, indeed. We can only go up from here. And, of course, we'll have Alex uh, to amuse us on Friday, which is always good value. Uh, Tony, as always, uh, it seems like we haven't had well, you in it, for ages, actually, mate. I think so it was, it's only been a, a couple of podcasts. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, it was a bit of a surprise when the script came through tonight, and it was quite nice because I didn't really have much time to read it. And I'd completely forgotten. So, um, But it's always a pleasure. And, of course, we did put a podding shed out last week. So, you know, um, things things are starting. The, the Chelsea oh. mojo is coming back, mate. And, um, yeah, you and I, at some point, uh, if it's not a game, it's sometime over Christmas, we need to go and sit in a bar like a couple of dribbling old fools and put the yes. world to rights yes definitely mm. absolutely down in hampshire indeed, I'm, indeed. I'm, I'm a, what a lovely night that'll be it will be no i'm looking forward to that already we must do this yeah. you're saying it for far too long and i'd be lovely i don't i don't exactly. see you enough mate and uh, and that we need to sort that out 
Now, last but by very means, no means least, is the, the wonderful uh, insight that we get from the lovely Liam Toomey. Liam, as always, it's a real honour to have you on the show. Thank you so much for putting up with our nonsense. On it's a always Monday a pleasure night. to talk to you guys, nonsense or, or otherwise. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. And I, I, I mean, the thing is, actually, you know, the great thing when you're on the show, Liam, I always always remember to read whatever article you've put up on ESPN. So I kind of, you know, not to ask anything too stupid, but it was a cracking one today. So well done for that. Uh, and lovely uh, to have you on, as I said, and hopefully I'll see you soon as well. Uh, you've all been brilliant, uh, almost as brilliant as the wonderful people who have been in Mixler with us all evening. Far too many of you to name. Uh, but I will just say it's an absolute pleasure having you in here and my sincere apologies to Bonnie Rig Blues, who I haven't seen in here tonight, but to certainly to John Chips Chiverton, who is in here tonight. Uh, and I don't know if Ralph's in, he may well be too, but I'm really sorry you didn't win the book. But as I pointed out earlier, it's all Jonathan's fault because he chose the number, not me. So there you go. Now, on that bombshell, John and Jonathan's being very quiet, understandably. Hey, on that bombshell, it's hey, only uh, it, uh, the only thing left... He's, he's, he's still there the only thing left for me to say really is thanks for listening see you next time until then keep it blue keep it carefree and keep up the chill up the chill it's the 90th minute all your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times.